Hey guys, welcome to the Change Up Podcast. Josh and Chad here. This is where we talk about culturally relevant topics, but we look at them through an honest gospel worldview. Let's get it. What's up, what Chad? Up? Here we go. Round deuce. <laughs> what? Uh, it's I not mean, cool when I say it. It was fine. It no, was, that was a that was a like. Oh, look, he's trying to be cool and he's not. <laughs> I can tell. I tell. I can. I can <laughs> perceive what you think about me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not this like hard shell. I feel yeah. it all, man. You're you're a hard shell with a soft gooey center. No, not really. I'm hard through and through. Oh yeah, yeah. I got no feelings. Uh huh. I'm too busy for that. I would, I would believe you if I didn't know you. See, that's how I like to keep it. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, let's just jump right in. We're back, part two of what's the series? Uh, excuses that Christians need to stop using to excuse their sin. All right. So we'll start off today's episode as usual with a couple of take it or leave it. We're doing it the new way now. The new way now. We like to change it up if you, you haven't noticed. You present it. I will give you two options. You take one, leave one. All right. And then we'll move forward. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> then, something yeah, like then we'll go to our episode, that Chad. That's uh, what we do. It's <laughs> progression. <laughs> All right. Here's your options. Much of a better. Are you? Much of a better, are you? <laughs> and the second one would be analogize this. Ugh. You're so critical of all the topics I come up with. You feel entitled to them. <laughs> analogize this or much of a better. Much of a better. I think I'll do analogize. Okay. Here's the question. If God's word is sufficient, then why do we need to speak in analogies and stories? Do we? Do we? We do. Preachers do it all the time. Like give analogies to paint a picture? Yeah. Well, I don't think we need to. It's just a helpful tool. I do it a lot in counseling because sometimes. But then is God's word sufficient? Of course it is. I mean, Jesus spoke in parables to to also show. Well, yeah, but that's points. God's word. But when he also used a Persian proverb, as we saw today, yeah, which I think we're in good company in terms of like explaining a deep truth of God's word to use an analogy to paint the picture to to make something that's a complicated, maybe a hard concept more palatable to understand. Mm-hmm. But God's word is definitely sufficient. But he's also given us language and ways to to make the point more clear to our audience in our context. Mm. Right? So I like to use analogies a lot because a lot of times in counseling, I'm trying to bring some some deeper doctrinal theological thought into a practical situation and show how it applies to this scenario. So... I'm beginning with and explaining God's truth, 
the truth is the part that's going to change them, but I may use an analogy or an example to make the truth more clear in what I'm trying to say and show them in, in God's Word. So the sufficiency of Scripture, the thing in Scripture, the truth of the Scripture is what's going to change them. Mm-hmm. But it's God's Word is so deep and so vast and so wonderful and yet sometimes complex but simple that it takes a little bit of effort to uh, help someone understand it mm-hmm. in their mind. Yeah, I noticed, well, two things. One, I noticed Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, I guess you could say he's one of my favorite preachers. He's been called the um, the greatest expositor in the 20th century. Yeah. And uh, just a, I guess prolific is the right word. Like he uh, spent uh, like eight or nine years in Romans, like, 350 sermons. Anyways, he never uses analogies. He always uses stories in the Bible to explain his point. Wow. It's pretty interesting. Uh, So I thought that was interesting. But also, and you kind of hinted towards this, is when we say, like, God's word is sufficient, the Bible is sufficient, we're not saying the words on the page or the language that is used as if there's some supernatural um, power in the sentence structure. It's the meaning behind the text right. that is truly who God is. Mm-hmm. It's his character. It's his, it's his ways mm-hmm. like that we should follow. Right. It's, it's help for us as we fight sin. It's helped to, to us to understand his kingdom, how mm-hmm. it's made up, you know, what Christians are like, how to be saved. It's the, it's not the, I guess the actual information um, it is the meaning behind right. the the ones and zeros, right. you know, and to the, use an analogy. And the analogies are just to drive home the point. The actual the point. That's all it is. Exactly. Now, if you're if you're not explaining the point of the, the scriptures and you're just going off into your own stories and analogies to prove your own point, then that is false teaching. Yeah, if you're adding to or short. taking away from right. the word— that's when you're in sin. Right. That's when you're leaving the sufficiency of Scripture behind mm-hmm. and going about to do your own thing. For instance, the critical race theory that was, I don't know, maybe it's still popular, but it was popular last year. Mm-hmm. And Christians were taking it on and adopting it. And, I mean, you even saw it at the Southern Baptist Convention, taking it on. And they said, we're using this as an analytical tool. And so that brings up, okay, sufficiency of Scripture it's okay to have an analytical tool. Yeah. But the problem is that what CRT is explaining about humanity is wrong. Right. <laughs> and, and the and it disagrees and, with what scripture says. Exactly. And the obvious implications of it mm-hmm. are wrong. Right. The need for social reform and social justice. No, no, no. Everyone needs the gospel. Right. And when Christ rules and reigns in every single heart, then the kingdom will be here. And there will be no more sin. Right. And until that happens, right. and I'm not some post millennialist, I'm just saying that's right. with the Lord coming back. But and to to use analogy to prove the point of analogies, <laughs> um, I'm okay with that. Analogies, I like to I like to think of it as like a highlighter to the point of scripture. Meaning, like it's like on the the page where you take a highlighter and you you're really highlighting the words and the point of that mm-hmm. scripture and so for me i use analogies in that way of like to really drive home the point or show 
in a clearer sense what the scriptures are saying and yeah. how it applies. And I think that's the way we should use analogy in teaching the Word of God. But once again, you should never be teaching your own truths or your own opinions through your own stories and how you feel about something. Right. That scripture should dictate what we think and feel. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that answered your question. But. I'm satisfied. That's pretty good. All right. I'm going to check it off. <laughs> we will not revisit this. Okay, so just a recap of last week. We covered three of the excuses that Christians use to justify their sin. The first one being, you know, I'm entitled. I deserve this sin, mm-hmm. this comfort, this idol, whatever that may be. Uh, the second one, um, my obedience outweighs my sin. You know, I go to church every single Sunday. Mm-hmm. I might as, you know, that's, I mean, I'm a, like, God's okay with me taking part in this sin. Right. The third one, everybody does it. Whether you're speaking about the world, everyone in the world does it, or all Christians do this thing too, even right. though in my conscience I know it's sin. So those three we covered last week, go back and check that out if you haven't. Number four, uh, re- the fourth reason for justifying sin, I'm just being me. <laughs> so this is the way God made me. Yeah. I am an angry person. So you mean or- you're sinful. Yeah. <laughs> or man, I'm just you know, beer just goes down really easily. <laughs> I'm really thirsty. Like I just gotta like if I was that guy, I wouldn't struggle with this sin. Yeah. Well, uh that's a half truth. You are just being you if you mean you were born sinful with sinful desires and sinful choices. Mm. But the gospel is what changes us. And we're meant to be transformed and conformed to the image of his son, Romans eight twenty eight and 29. So um, we're not meant to stay the way we were born because we were born sinful, right. the children of wrath. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, For anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. Ephesians four seventeen to 24 talks about putting off the old and renewing the mind and putting on what's the new, putting on what's right and what's true. So we're actually meant to change, and what God cares about for his children is holiness. Mm. We're meant to be made into holy vessels of worship. We're meant to be made into the image of his son. And so we live a lifetime once we are in Christ, assuming that you're saved and Christ is Lord, of putting off sin, confessing sin, First John 1, 9, seeking God's forgiveness, renewing our mind on what's true, and putting on the righteousness and obedience to the Word of God. And over time, God continues to grow and mature and change us into the image of His Son. So the expectation is that you would change. And so, yeah, you have those tendencies, and they're sinful, and they need to be changed. Mm -hmm. I think I have three things. (laughs) Okay. Lady Gaga said, I was born this way. And Jesus said. She's sinful and she's wrong. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's right. Uh, Number two. um, Shoot. (laughs) Three things. I was born this way. We already lost it. I don't know (laughs) if it's sinful to be this dumb. (laughs) But (laughs) No, the second thing would be the Christian life is not does not favor any one personality. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't favor a certain disposition because the Christian life mm-hmm. is not lived by you. Mm-hmm. It's lived by the Holy Spirit inside of you. Right. And so any single person can live out every single command of Scripture mm-hmm. because they have the Holy Spirit. Right. So you cannot believe this lie that, well, if I wasn't this way, it would be easier for me. Right. And there is a uniqueness to each of us. We're created in the image of God. And as as you do change, the way that you live out the truth of God's word or the obedience to Christ doesn't mean it's robotic, like we're all exactly the same in personality or disposition. Right. But we are all the same in the difference between what's sinful and non-sinful. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you don't get to justify sin as your personality. That's not who you are. Right. Just like, but... You know, I'm I tend to be more laid back and reserved and quiet. Somebody else might be more energetic and being energetic or being laid back, those are neutral things that God's designed, or we may have different giftings as uh Second Corinthians twelve talks about, right, the body. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about the difference between sin. Every Christian is able to walk in holiness. Right. And uh, the differences that God's designed us with in the in the characteristics or personalities, that's a beautiful thing and can be all be redeemed for the glory of God. But yeah. they're, they're not justifications for sin. Mm-hmm. Third thing I was going to say, sin is not your identity if you are a Christian. Yeah. Once you are in Christ, and we just covered an episode on identity, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, Christ is your identity. Um, what's your pastor for that? Ephesians 1? Yeah. All that you have in Christ? So read through Ephesians 1. If you are in Christ, one, you are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come, or the old has passed away. Um, But if you are in Christ, your identity is not, you're not defined by sin. You're defined by your new identity in Christ that he's given you. Yeah, sin is just something to be repented of and grown and Mm -hmm. changed. All right, then do it. What's stopping (laughs) you? Maybe it's this excuse that God will forgive you. Number five. Excuse number five. God will forgive you. It is true. If you're in Christ. Cheap grace. You you are given grace and you will sin, but your motivation should not be to sin. Mm -hmm. Your motivation should be to live righteously and knowing that when you do sin, you can confess and, and, and learn from it and be forgiven and grow. But if you have the attitude of, like, I don't have to try to be obedient, then that's an issue of lordship, which really is showing the fact that you're probably not saved. Mm. I mean, Paul even says that in, in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Our goal, our attitude is to be new, mm-hmm. to be in Christ, to be like Christ. To but be we are, different from the world. But we are sinful, and we are battling our sin, and it is an expectation that you will fail from time to time, but it's not something that you are okay with. It's not something that you enjoy. It's something that you're fighting, and God gives you the grace to fight through it and to cover that sin. But if you have the attitude of, like, it doesn't matter, I'm forgiven, then you're probably not forgiven, mm. actually. 
That's interesting. <laughs> what? I mean, I believe you. I just I was thinking about the logic of that, and I was trying to tie it to something I'm studying right now in the Beatitudes of blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it's such an interesting and misunderstood um, Beatitude. And essentially, I mean, what you said is obviously right. Um, the fruit of a life in Christ is that you are fighting sin. Mm-hmm. And in this beatitude, that you are merciful. Mm-hmm. And that shows that you've been given mercy. Right. And that you've received mercy. Otherwise, how could you not forgive someone that mm-hmm. you've been forgiven so much of? How could you continue to sin if you've been forgiven of so much sin? Right. How can you live in that way in in light of what Christ has done for you mm-hmm. and what he's done for you to live righteously now. Like if you truly understand that, mm-hmm. how could you continue? Right. I, we all do, obviously. But right. it's it's probably because we're not walking in an awareness right. of that. But when we do sin, if you're in Christ, you feel conviction, like you feel sorrow over your sin and you you run to the Lord and confess and repent and your your desire is to change. Yeah. Well, and that's how, you know, Paul continues and in chapter 7 he gets into the whole mm-hmm. wretched man that I am. Right. Every time I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. Like I am right. so evil. You got to have that kind of view of right. yourself and sin. But if your attitude is very flippant, very like, hey, I've prayed a prayer and I'm I'm forgiven. I can just do whatever and it doesn't matter. You don't have an understanding of the gospel, mm-hmm. which means you're probably not saved. Mm-hmm. So you have a false understanding of the gospel. Right. So it, it's really more of an indictment on your own salvation mm. if you have that attitude. Yeah. All right. Number six, uh, authority. The idea that um, essentially people who are in sin will, will become bitter at those that are calling out the sin, essentially saying they don't get to dictate. Oh, you don't get to judge me? How I live. You oh. can't judge. God says Only don't God judge. judge. Only God can judge me. You're just calling me to some like strict Christian standard, and they're Christians, yeah. but so that would be really weird for them to say. They probably wouldn't say it that way, right? But essentially, like, man, that's wrong that they would judge me and make me feel that way. You know, I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, that's not true biblically, but what I'll say is, God, God will judge you harsher than any person will ever judge you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's holy and righteous, so right. His so standard is perfect. His standard's perfect. So, uh, so the first and foremost, and he has set up elders and pastors and people to help teach and guide and and to to rebuke. And other Christians are we're supposed to rebuke one another when we see that we are sinning. We're actually supposed to judge one another as we are to judge ourselves, meaning by the Word of God, right. not judgmentalism. Like thinking I'm better than you, but well, and that's yeah. I was gonna say, but if I see a brother in sin, I want I want to call it out lovingly so that you can see it and repent. Just like I hope somebody calls me out if I'm being sinful. Well, the analogy would be like seeing one of your family members like bathing in filth. Yeah, you're like, wait, wait, wait. Why are you doing that? Like, we got clean water over here. Like, right. stop that. And then Get- you're being like, don't judge me. It's like, uh, 
but you're filthy. I'm not being arrogant. Like, I'm not judging you in the way of, like, I'm better than you. Right. That's what you got to, I guess, watch out for as a leader, too, is, right. hey, you're not better than anybody just because they're sinning and you're not. Right. Like, so I guess that would help as the leader reminding them, like, hey, I, I say this in all humility. Like, you said this example a while back and it stuck with me. I'm just a beggar helping other beggars find food. Yeah. You know, and that's the same with sin. Like, that's with the gospel, but essentially that's the same with sin. It's like, hey, I've been forgiven a lot. I still sin every day, but I'm just pointing out, you know, you can point out my sin if you want. Right. And we've been given the instruction even in Matthew 18 of how to go to a brother who sins against you, who is in sin. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you will gain a brother. So it's a it's a loving thing. Mm-hmm. And then it has the instruction if it doesn't listen, take take one or two more. Like God cares deeply about our sin. Like he he holds it in high regard, meaning like you have to deal with it. It's not something you can take lightly. Mm-hmm. And he holds his body, his his believers accountable to keeping sin out of the body, which means rebuking one another in love and helping restore one another and helping each other grow in Christ. So you should see it as a loving thing when someone comes to you and wants to tell you or share with you something they've seen and an opportunity to repent and be restored and and reconcile and all those good things. That's a that's the mark of humility because you already know that you have the ability to sin. Like you know you're sinful. So it shouldn't be shocking to you occasionally when somebody says Man, the way you said that really, really hurt. It really came out of a seemingly like a prideful place. You shouldn't be like, I can't believe he said that. You should be like, well, that's possible. Right. <laughs> you know, let's talk about it. Let me see. And if I've offended them, I'm definitely going to repent because I want to honor God and I want to love my brother. Mm-hmm. If you have the disposition of you don't want anyone to tell you anything that you're doing wrong, it's it's not a good sign. Right. Yeah, and also like viewing, you, you mentioned earlier just about viewing your sin lightly. Um, like, I mean, it says God is, Old Testament says God is angry with the wicked every day. Yeah. Like he never takes sin lightly. Just because he has forgiven you of all your sin, that does not lessen the effect of sin. I right. mean, he gave up his only son to do that. Right. And Christ had to die. That must have been the the very best way for it to happen because yeah. that's the way it did happen. So yeah. he never views sin lightly. Even after you're a Christian, sin yeah. is just as bad as it was before. Yeah, God's seriousness about sin is way more serious than any of us will ever take it. Mm-hmm. Because he understands his holiness better than mm-hmm. any of us will ever understand his holiness. Right. So don't be a wuss. <laughs> How is that? If somebody comes oh, like to you, authority, yeah. If somebody comes to you and tells you something and they're and they show you biblically what it says and you're wrong, then repent. You know what's tough about that? Is when you're you're called out for sin, but it's true, but also it's coming from a legalistic person. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. What do you call that? You got a biblical principle? That, <laughs> I think you, you know Archie R- Sproul has that sermon. He says the uh the treachery of the weaker brother principle. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he talks about how that's kind of different, actually. Yeah. But how people can overuse that weaker brother principle. Mm-hmm. 
Like if you ever are the one using that principle, you're the one saying you're the weaker brother, mm-hmm. by the way. So yeah. if you're using it but still think you're not the weaker brother, first of all, it shouldn't be the weaker brother using that principle because he doesn't understand scripture enough <laughs> to be able to use it. So you're using it to manipulate someone. It's yeah. the treachery of it, and it's evil. Yeah. Now, if someone's legalistic, which is they're sinful in their approach, it doesn't negate the truth of your sin. Yeah. So you still got to be humble enough to say, all right, I did sin in that way. But what I would say is I would also, if we're in that conversation, lovingly say, and here's something that I've seen in you. Yeah. You know, not in like a, well, not like a tit for tat. But not I'm a saying, quid pro quo. Yeah. Like own your own own your own stuff. And maybe you shouldn't do it in the same conversation. Yeah. But also if you have a brother that's who's legalistic and all that good stuff, then you should also go to them at some point and help them see some of the ways that they're using scripture in a way that God did not intend. Yeah. Um and also, you should be prepared to do this when an authority or someone who's not even a believer. Because there are times when a, a non-believer sure. will call you to live by your own Christian ethic. Right, and you should take it. You got to take it. Yeah, because <laughs> you should want to live by it. Yeah, you should be like, dang, you're you're right. Like, what a great way to show the humility exactly. and the meekness that you can. It's a great display of the gospel of saying, like, you're right, I'm not perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you don't have to. That's the beauty of we, we're free to repent because of the gospel. Like mm. you shouldn't, you shouldn't have an ego. You shouldn't get your your feathers ruffled too bad because, mm-hmm. like, we are sinful. You you should. I tell people a lot. I'm actually shocked that I don't sin more than I do. <laughs> so if somebody tells me, "Man, I, I think that was sinful," I'm gonna be pretty quick to be like, "Yeah, probably." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm shocked that I don't do it more. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't be like shocked that you've you sin and somebody's telling you you're sinful like, yeah man you you should be shocked that you don't sin every day all day and you probably do you just don't display it or show it i don't know yeah i mean because we still have sinful flesh right okay beat that dead horse yeah one dead. one mo last one this one's kind of weird i'll be honest <laughs> but it's not really an excuse to justify sin but it's, i think it's worth talking about all right the idea that, like, because you have sorrow, that you have repented. Hey, oh, okay, yeah. You know, basically, like, you sin, like, it's an habitual habitual sin. Right. And since you have sorrow, you're like, man, this must just be really hard to fight. Yeah. Or to find freedom in. Yeah. But the idea of your, just because you were emotionally sorry, mm-hmm. but it doesn't follow by a changed life does not mean that you repented. Right. Yeah. Second Corinthians 7, Paul makes that distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Right. The results show you the heart. Because in both scenarios, both have sorrow. And sorrow looks the same. Mm-hmm. It's just one is sorry and driven by the belief that they've sinned against God. And it drives them to repent, confess sin, and and repent and change their mind and change their heart. Whereas worldly sorrow's desire is to get out from underneath the sting of the consequences, mm-hmm. right? Which doesn't produce salvation, which means that you're you're still walking towards death. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Emotionally being upset, 
doesn't mean you're repentant. Repentance means repentance, right? Like 180 degrees. It means you're walking one way, you turn around, right? Walking you're, towards Christ. You're going to confess, seek forgiveness, and change. Mm-hmm. And if that if that's not accompanied with the sorrow, then you're not repentant, mm-hmm. right? Sorrow can exist without repentance. Right. It's called worldly sorrow. Yes, yeah, it really just speaks to like how tricky emotions can be. Sure. Just because you feel bad, yeah, doesn't mean you feel bad before God. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that can be an indication. I mean, just the fact that you keep sinning, but maybe you're confused like, well, I keep sinning, but I really hate it when I sin. But do you hate it for the right reason? It's- yeah, you're not a victim to your sin. Like you're the one that chose it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're the one that wanted it. You're just sorry you got caught. You're sorry of the consequences of it. I see this, you know, we work with people in, at Nehemiah, you know, who, who struggle with drug addiction. And one of the biggest things that we teach them early on is that it's a result of sin and that they actually have a choice in Christ to choose not to do it. It's a long road, but but this victim mentality that's been taught of the disease model that they can't help it. Like, they're sorry for how their life screwed up. They're sorry for the people they've hurt, usually. And a lot of them are even sorrowful that they're still in it, but they don't have a repentant attitude that, that I need to confess my sin and that I can change through the gospel. Once they see that, it's not that they don't still make mistakes. But that's where you see freedom start to really set in when they truly repent, when they see their sin for what it is. They understand it's their sin. Mm-hmm. And that they're repenting before the Lord and they're trusting in the gospel and they're changing what they believe about themselves and about God. That's where you see uh, change and holiness begin to happen. And that's true for everybody, mm-hmm. right? But you can you can be really sad about your life and your even your desires. Mm-hmm but you're still responsible for them. Okay, we got time for one more. So just speak to this quickly. The excuse that it doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> then you're missing the main point. You're sinning against God. Mm. So it does hurt sometimes. It doesn't matter if anybody's hurt by it. You're sinning against the holy God. You're mm. spitting in his face. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the whole reason behind repentance in the first place. When David in Psalm 51, and he writes that after he commits adultery and murders his friend with Bathsheba, he's, the whole psalm is about, I've sinned against you, O Lord. Mm -hmm. You alone have I sinned. Look what I've done. Of course, he also sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah, but he understands that the real sin is against God. Right. Like, that's, that's what sin is. It's, it's breaking God's holy law. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if anybody even sees you or ever finds out about it. You're still sinning against God. Yeah, one day every single work, deed, action, thought, the Bible says every secret thought will be seen by and judged by God. Mm-hmm. So you got to live, as Colossians 3 says, in light of eternity. Mm-hmm. Not not in the temporal world, but in light yeah. of eternity and heaven. Right. Well, that's good. Hopefully, this is helpful. Yeah. We talk a lot about sin. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Well, the Bible talks about it a lot. So it does. We're in good company. Much sin in the Bible does it say about? 
Thank okay. you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Juben. Talk to y'all later. Thank you for listening to the Change Up Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. If you don't have a home church, please come check us out. We have service times at 845 and 1045 on Sundays. And you can find more information at thefieldnola.com. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please share it with a friend or family member and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people just like you find us.